Thanks for watching this video from Cherry Hills Church. During this series, we want to spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live the way of Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning, everybody. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Mark's Gospel. It's about three-fourths of the way back in your Bible, and if you didn't bring a Bible, uh, you, if you're here in the room and you want to turn to one of the black Bibles, it's on page 812. And for those of you watching online, thank you for making time to worship with us today, and I hope you have your Bible there or using a Bible app on a screen. But we want to take time to look at God's Word today. And last week, Pastor Brian kicked off the series we're calling The Way of Jesus. We're studying the Gospel of Mark. And I hope if you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, it was really helpful as an introduction, and I recommend you listen to it. But today, we're going to look at verses 1, 1 through 8, and uh, we're going to look at this whole idea of what does it mean when we say the way of Jesus. In fact, here's the series sentence, if you're following along. We want to spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live the way of Jesus. We want to spend time with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live the way of Jesus. What do, what do we mean by that? Have you ever heard someone say, they just have a way about them? Well, what do we mean? we mean? We mean their heart, their spirit, their approach to life, their manner, their demeanor. And Jesus said, I am the way, and I can show you the way. But what he meant by that is his practices, his approach to life, the way that he, the patterns of his life, he wants to reproduce and replicate in us. And so it's not just about presenting a Christian image, it's about learning the way, the heart, the spirit of Jesus. And so uh, if you're following along, here's, here's what we see in Mark's gospel as we study it. We're going to learn this together. In Mark, the way of Jesus is humility. The way of Jesus is humility. See, he's the king who serves. He serves others. Where do I get this idea if you Read ahead sometime to John to Mark 10, excuse me, verse 45. Here's what he says. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, he didn't just come to be served. He came to give his life for others. And when he's working his way in us, we will begin to think that way too. In a time in history when it's so easy to be self-obsessed and self-absorbed, he wants to teach us how we can live a better way, a more thoughtful way, a deeper way of life. And so you, you've probably seen this uh, definition of humility before by C.S. Lewis, but he just says it so simply because some people, when they hear the word humility, they think it means be a worm, be a doormat. No, that's not what it means. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's having an accurate estimation of yourself. It's not denying the gifts you have or the things God's done good in your life, but it's not overrating them either. It's, it's thinking of other people. So um, today, I want to try and tie something together. As we study uh, this message that's primarily about John the Baptist preparing the way, what I hope that we've been talking over the last couple of years about the one what do we mean when we say the one? We mean that Jesus once told a parable about how a shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one who is lost, the one that's gotten away from the flock. That, and that's God's heart. God's always caring. That's what we notice even with this one unlit candle. It reminds us there's still people on the way. There's still people that don't know the Lord, that haven't 
experiences grace. And he never wants us to get so caught up in being Cherry Hills or following Jesus ourselves individually that we forget about the one in our path, the one in our neighborhood, the one that he wants us to keep praying for, maybe in our family, maybe at work, maybe at school, maybe in our neighborhood, maybe in our city, maybe someone uh, that he's put on our heart. So I want to try and tie that together because what I hope you'll see is that the way John the Baptist prepared the way shows us how we also can keep the way open for the one that God is trying to reach around us. So um, if you're following along, notice this. In all four Gospels, Jesus' ministry begins with John the Baptist. In all four Gospels, Jesus' ministry begins with John the Baptist. And of course, the big question is, why? And the answer is found in the opening verses that we're going to read in just a moment. But would you pray with me that God might help us experience and and learn and understand what he wants us to know right now at this time in our lives. So, Lord, my trust is not in my abilities, although I thank you for them. My trust is in your word. My trust is in your spirit to come to every seat, to reach into every heart, something I cannot do, but you can, so that we might know you and walk with you and live the way that you made us to live. And we pray you do this for your glory and for others that may not yet know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if I'll read verse one, would you be willing to get ready to read in that second gray box, verses two and three? Let's look at God's word together. Full voice, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. Ready? Here we go. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, if you notice in that gray box there, twice the word way shows up. How handy for a series called the way of Jesus. But what I want you to notice is this. Here's why John the Baptist is so important at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. If you're following along in the notes, look at this. 700 years before, God promised to first send a messenger. 700 years before. Boy, does God have more patience than I do. God is never late. He's always on time. And he knew exactly what he was doing. He was unfolding it, but he said, look, here's how you're gonna know when I'm about to send my Messiah into the world to redeem the world. I will send a messenger first. Now, it says, as it's written in Isaiah, and some people that gets them all bothered because he actually quotes Malachi, uh, the last Old Testament book in the, in the Bible, uh, and then he quotes Isaiah, and people go, how come he didn't say both names? Because Isaiah was a major prophet, and Malachi was a minor prophet, and I think they're both okay right now with it in heaven, okay? <laughs> but the point is, is that Isaiah... Uh, 40 verse 1 and 3 is mentioned second, but Malachi 3, 1. And here's what I want you to notice. If in your Bible, there is a, usually a white page between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That page represents 400 years without a prophet. 400 years without a word from God. So now do you think people are anxious to hear from God? Because they, absolutely, they're, they're wondering, what's God going to say? What's God going to do next? And now their attention is up. And they're really interested. Now, notice this. 
is it, one of the things that you guys uh, allow me to do is to just study, you know, those of us that teach, you give us this treasured time to study. And something that stood out to me this week is what I want to share with you. And it has to do with the word herald. Now, some of you have heard this story before, but there was a son one night that was asking his dad before they went to bed. He says, do you think Harold hears me when I pray? And his dad said, I, I don't know what you mean, son. He says, well, you know, when we pray our father who art in heaven, Harold be thy name. And he said, no, no, son, it's, it's hallowed be thy name, not Harold. So I'm not talking about that kind of Harold. I'm talking about Harold Sparrow the way it is in the notes, okay? But where does that come from? It comes from when it says in verse four that he came preaching That word is herald. Now, let me read it to you, verses four through six, okay? Here's what it says. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching, heralding a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. If you're following along, what do we mean by herald? A herald is one who goes before to announce the coming of another. One who goes before to announce the coming of another. In other words, they say, I'm not it. It's the person coming after me, but I'm getting your attention because you really need to be ready for this one coming after me. Now, again, the life application commentary says these words, and I found them helpful. Important Roman officials of Jesus' day were always preceded by an announcer or herald. When the herald arrived in town, the people of that town knew that someone of prominence would soon arrive and they would be called to assemble. Because of Mark's original audience was comprised primarily of Roman Christians, he began his book with John the Baptist, whose mission was to announce the coming of Jesus, the most important man who ever lived. And Warren Wiersbe drills down even further. In ancient times, before a king visited any part of his realm, a messenger was sent before him to prepare the way. This included preparing the roads and preparing the people. You see, when the king would come in all his glory in the entourage, if he came to all these places in ancient Middle East, there weren't always roads. So they would build a road so that he could come to that area and visit. And when people started seeing the road getting prepared, and when they heard the messenger stand up, they go... Someone important is coming. And John the Baptist was that herald. Now, if you've never read Isaiah 40, which has just been quoted in verses two and three, I just recommend read it sometime this week. I did it and it was a great thing to do, but I'll just ask you to look at verse four and five with me that continues after that prophecy. Look at what it says. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level the rugged places, a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Listen to what Ray Steadman says. That is what repentance does. It brings down all the high peaks of pride that we stand on and refuse to admit our wrong. It takes the depressed areas of our life where we beat and torture and punish ourselves and lifts them up. It takes the crooked places where we have lied and deceived and straightens them out. Isn't that amazing? It makes the rough places plain. Then God is there at the instant of repentance. What I want us to see is that like Elijah, if you're following along, John humbly calls people to choose. 
like Elijah, John humbly calls people to choose. Now, there's several things here that are important just to notice. First of all, he's preaching in the wilderness and he's wearing certain clothes. People say like, why is it so important for us to notice what he was wearing? There's a whole bunch of reasons, but part of it is that he's 20 miles. We're used to Rochester, Chatham, you know, Riverton, all that around here. So we're not used to some of these places on the map. The wilderness there and by the Jordan River is 20 miles east of Jerusalem and in the region of Judea. So people had to make a trip out to see this guy. And he would have stood out in any crowd for his simplicity. He would have stood out because of his absolute focused way of serving the purpose God made him for. And they would come out to hear him. And so the clothing was a clue. But also, did you know that not only did the prophets predict that a messenger like John would come, but also before he was even born, a miracle happened. Zechariah was in the temple serving God. And while he was serving God, an angel appeared to him and scared him to death and told him, look, your wife, who's way up in years and can't have children, she's going to have a miracle child. And he's going to be a special boy. And he's going to serve God's purpose. He's going to be the messenger. Look at what it says in Luke 1, 16 and 17. This is what the angel said. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this was all about John and how he was going to prepare the way. And so notice if you're following along, John preaches a baptism of repentance. John preaches a baptism of repentance. When I said that he comes in the spirit of Elijah, I, I listed out to the right uh, the earlier, 1 Kings 18, 21. If you don't know, there was a showdown on Mount Carmel because the people of Israel had turned away from God and were living very unfaithfully. So Elijah stands up and here it is in the message paraphrase, but look at these words. Elijah challenged the people. How long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is the real God, follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. Make up your minds. Nobody said a word. Nobody made a move. It was one of those holy moments where they knew God was addressing them on their own terms. And so this is what John the Baptist came. And if you, if I said earlier, all four gospels include some things about John that kind of you fill in the details by putting them together. But let me just show you uh, just one taste of his preaching in Luke 3, verses 7 through 14. When crowds of people came out for baptism because it was the popular thing to do, again, this is a message paraphrase, John exploded, brood of snakes, what do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snake skins is going to deflect God's judgment? It's not your life. It's your life that must change, not your skin. And don't think you can pull rank by claiming Abraham as father. Being a child of Abraham is neither here nor there. Children of Abraham are a dime a dozen. God can make children from stones if he wants. What counts is your life. Is it green and blossoming? Because if it's dead wood, it goes on the fire. The crowd asked him, then what are we supposed to do? If you have two coats, give one away, he said. Do the same with your food. Tax men also came to be baptized and said, teacher, what should we do? He told them, no more extortion. Collect only what is required by law. Soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He told them, no shakedowns, no blackmail, and be content with your rations. You see what he's getting at? He's saying, look, don't, don't play this game with God. You're just postponing reality. It's important that you change your mind. Now, when it says he preached a baptism of repentance, 
We just experienced the ceremony of baptism here. And again, this is a different baptism than John preached. Uh, the people that were baptized today were baptized in the name of Jesus for the finished work of Jesus that he would eventually accomplish on the cross. Our faith is what Jesus has done for us, not our own righteousness. But this baptism was a preparation. And when we say baptism, I'm not referring to a ceremony of baptism, even though he did do that later with people. A baptism can be used as an event or a ceremony on one hand. The other way it can be used, Jesus once said, I have a baptism to undergo. What did he mean? I have an assignment. I have a mission. I have a responsibility. And until it's finished, you know, I'm, I'm, my, my heart is, is heavy to make sure that gets done. So that's what John's saying. I have an assignment to preach repentance to you in this chapter so you can get ready for the one coming behind me. What does it mean to repent? The word repent doesn't just mean to feel bad. The word repent means to literally change our mind. It's doing both turning from our sin and turning back to God. It's a U-turn. It's a 180. It's a changing your mind enough that you literally change your actions as a result because you truly have changed your mind. And so repentance, notice what, if, if you're following along, to repent is a response to God that opens the way for God to work his way. It's a response that opens the way for God to work his way. But how did they repent? How did, how did, how did he ask them to repent? Well, if you're following along, as people willingly confess their sins, John baptizes them. As people willingly confess their sins. I want to just say something to you as a church family. One of the things that I have appreciated over the years is how many of you follow God because you want to. We've all met, and sometimes it's been us too, that have followed God because we had to. There's a totally different spirit. And these people this day, as they came out to John the Baptist, said, you're not guilt tripping me. I know what you're saying is true. God's speaking to me through you. And my heart knows that I want to do this because I want to be right with God. I want to know his grace and his favor and his kindness again. I, I want to be right with him. So I will willingly, as humiliating as it might be, I will willingly confess those things that are blocking the way for God to come his way through me. And when you and I begin to understand that, we see it as an opportunity and not just a have to, and they willingly confess their sins. If you're following along, to confess literally means to say the same as, to agree with God and to bring it into the light. It literally means to say the same as God. I'm going to say the same about that as you say. I'm not going to minimize it. I'm not going to rationalize it. I'm not going to downplay it. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to blame away. I am going to call it what you call it. I agree with you. You're right for putting that, your finger on that. That is blocking the way for you to come in and through me with your way. And so I, I, I own it, I name it. Can you imagine this scene? Now, again, I don't know how much you know about the history, but the Jordan River, the reason why John the Baptist is out in the wilderness and where he's standing is because out in the wilderness where he was, that was the only place there was enough water to baptize people, was the Jordan River. So people had to come about 20 miles out of town from Jerusalem to get there. And when they got there, 
They, the site, again, it, I don't know about you, but when I read wilderness, that's not the first place I want to go. But there was something drawing these people. And when they got there, they knew that there was also something powerful about the Jordan River. Again, I could tell you lots of stories, but let me just tell you one. Before the Israelites entered the promised land, do you know what they had to cross? The Jordan River. They were on the east side of the Jordan. And in order for them to cross the Jordan and get to the west side, they had to do it. But it tells us that they had to do it at flood stage. Not convenient. But God said, I'm going to open a way for you. You're going to have to trust me. But if you'll trust me, I'll open a way just like I did the Red Sea. And as they put their feet in the water, the minute they did, it opened up and they walked on dry ground. God made a way when they responded to him. He still does. He still does. So if you turn your notes over on the back, there are the notes. I just want to show you just some ideas about the gift of confession and repentance. And would you mind reading in that first gray box from the Amplified Version, Matthew 5, 4, one of Jesus' Beatitudes. And yes, we'll read even the words in the brackets together. Would you join me? Blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace are those who mourn over their sins and repent, for they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted. And so what, what are some possible sins that they were confessing that day, that they were bringing out into the light so God's grace and truth could shine on? Well, I just list some of these. And again, I only did it to try and get our minds thinking more concretely. But here's just, I'll just read through these. Words I've spoken or written that pollute or tear down. Thoughts I fill my mind with that are false, impure, or wrong. Refusing to forgive or to reconcile with someone. Impatience, arrogance, and pride. Spreading discord and division. Being argumentative. Unbelief, disobedience, resisting the Holy Spirit. Lying, cheating, deception. Jealousy, envy, or coveting what other people have. Greed, love of money, selfish ambition. Lust, sexual immorality, adultery pornography, stealing, shoplifting, vandalizing another's property, resentment, bitterness, a judgmental, critical spirit, witchcraft, sorcery, dabbling with demonic spirits, drunkenness, overindulgence, uncontrolled addictions. Now, before I ask you to turn your notes over to your side, you may be wondering, Jeff, do you, do you ever like have to confess to God? Only every day. And now I want to make sure I say this carefully. For those who have yet to come to Jesus for the first time, repentance and confession is the beginning point for you to come to Jesus for the first time. But for those of us that have already come and received his saving grace and that new relationship, why do we confess? Why do we still repent? It's not because we can lose our relationship with God. We can't lose our standing with God. It was a gift but we can mess up our fellowship with God. We can let things block and impede and hinder our relationship with God. And any person that's experienced the amazing love of God doesn't want to hurt God's love. And there is this willingness to say, oh God, I don't want anything to keep climbing back in and getting between you and me. Show me how to remove that through repentance and confession. I want to change my mind about that completely. Show me how to see it the way you see it. So I agree with you and say the same as and bring it out into the light so you can heal it. So 
So for me, this last week, I love NFL football. Someone told me this week they were shocked that I did, but I really do. So I was really happy last Sunday afternoon. And I was watching a lot of the games, and my wife does not like football as much as I do. But she decided she wanted to be near me, so she sat down next to me for the long haul. And during one of the games, I have this terrible habit, and I'm confessing it out loud in front of you, of yelling at the TV. Now, the players never hear me, and it doesn't always seem to make a difference, but I feel like I'm involved. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? But what I don't realize is just how ugly that spirit is when I'm criticizing or correcting these players or calling them dumb and things like that. Does this make sense? So last Sunday, she decided to just gently say, uh, Jeff, that's really hard for me to hear you screaming in that spirit. And I took it admirably. No, I did not. What I did <laughs> is I said, well... And I just immediately defended myself, and I went in the other room, slammed the door, and acted like a two-year-old. And then I have to study Mark 1, 1 through 8. Praise God. Because I saw that the way forward was to confess that first to God, then to her, and say the way I acted and defended my behavior and talked to you was not the way Jesus wants me to talk to you. He wants me to name it, to bring it out into the light and ask you to forgive me. And thankfully she did. And all I'm trying to say to his friends, this is as real as right now. And I'm going to give you an opportunity before the service is over, if your heart's willing to do so, to practice this. Okay. So if you turn your notes back over, notice this is that John doesn't overrate or underrate his part in God's plan. So let me just invite you. John doesn't overrate or underrate his part in God's plan. Would you read the last two verses of our passage in that second gray box out loud? Can you multitask? Here we go. And this was John's message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, is John belittling himself? He is not. He's saying, just like you guys are used to seeing slaves in homes reach down and untie the sandals and wash the feet of people that walk these dusty roads, I'm a servant of the one coming after. And I want to tell you that the magnitude of his greatness and glory is such a completely different stratosphere than my own that in one hand, while I'm not worthy to untie his sandals, I have the privilege of participating in the good news of telling you he's coming. I can only wash you on the outside. He can wash you on the inside. I can only encourage you to change your mind. He can change your life. He can give you his own Holy Spirit who will live inside of you and show you the same spirit, the same heart, the same way, and he'll develop that character in you if you cooperate with him. Praise God. And so, do you ever get discouraged about being God's messenger? You know, caring for the one and trying to reach out to them or trying to maybe share something about Jesus with someone else. Do you ever feel ineffective? Me too, sometimes. I was so glad to read John's words. It's not about me but I sure get to tell you about someone who it is about. 
and I can tell you good news about him. And so there's something I found helpful called the angle scale. I'll just show you this real quick and won't go into a lot of detail. This is my drawing, so forgive me if it's hard to see, but some years ago I read about how this man, James Engel, said that in the process of people, there's a whole spectrum of how people grow spiritually or get interested in God. God's working, God's drawing people, but some people are out at negative 10, way out here, hardcore, maybe atheistic, maybe hardened against God, their heart's not open. But over a period of time, sometimes as they, God makes himself more real to people, which he often does through people, they're, they begin to move closer, and sometimes they, they literally step across the line of faith and then keep growing. And so that really helps me because sometimes I, I wonder, God, why is it so important that I just stay clean and, re, and repentant and, and confess to you? Because it's not just about me. See, as I make room for God to work in me and through me, that may mean that when I rub shoulders with someone who's a negative eight or a negative six, Maybe God uses that encounter or those encounters to just move them to a negative five. And someone else may come along and just help them open their heart even more. And then there's people. They come to know Jesus because God is working in the world, but he's wanting to do it through you and me, listening to him and letting him have his way. And we aren't always conscious of it. Really, it's about him anyway, right? We don't have to get the glory. But that's why it's important. And so here's the last thing is, Lord, as I prepare the way, shine in and through me to others. And if you keep your notes up, by the way, I have something we still use them for. Lord, as I prepare the way, shine in and through me to others. Now, let me tell you a story. And again, what we're going to read at the end here is on the back of the notes. So if you just keep those open. But one of my all-time favorite stories, and I bet some of you have heard it before, but I heard it years ago. I've never been able to shake it. There was a missionary in another country who was a Bible translator. And when he went there, he befriended uh, a man in the village who was native to the area and knew the language the people spoke. And so they became friends and he invited him to come every day and help him translate the New Testament into a language that this people group could understand. And as they worked on it together, um, he the missionary complained a lot about how hard it was and how long it was taking and all this stuff. And, but he, they eventually finished. Well, when they finished, the missionary turned to this native man in the village and he said, now that you've read about Jesus and you've had the opportunity to meet Jesus through the scriptures, are you ready to become a Christian? And this native man said, I've never met a Christian. <laughs> and the missionary goes, I'm a Christian. Like, what do you mean? We just spent weeks together. He says, oh, we spent weeks together. But like, you've complained the whole time. I've showed up every day to help you. And as I read about Jesus, I, he doesn't have the same spirit you have. And this missionary was cut to the heart, busted. But instead of denying it or arguing anymore, he just began to soften. And he said, I, I was blind to that I." I see what you're saying. You are so right. Could you possibly forgive me for how I have affected you all these months with you helping me? And this native man said, I'm beginning to see a Christian. Friends, living the Christian life is not about getting it right every time. It's about learning how to walk with Jesus in such a way that when we get it wrong, we know the grace of Jesus 
is right there for us to bring it out into the light and say, keep teaching me, keep showing me. Because sometimes when people see us humble ourselves like that, that's more powerful than when we get it right every time. He's looking for the spirit, the heart, the way of Jesus to be in us. So if you wouldn't mind, you mind closing your eyes? I want to just give you an opportunity. If it's in your heart to do so, please. In no way do I want to guilt trip anyone. I don't want anybody to feel pressured if you're not ready to do this. But I want to just walk through just a guided time of confession. If you'd be willing to whisper in your heart these things to God, it's just between you and God. But remember that even though it's just between you and God, you're opening the way for the king to have his way in and through your life in the hope that it may also bless others. And we never know what God will do when we obey him like this. So first of all, think about your mouth. Are there any words you've said or written or spoken that have been destructive, hurtful, impure, dirty stories, off-color language, anything where you've used your mouth not to glorify God and his purpose, but not to build up, but to tear down? Would you confess that to him right now? That's you, like I had to do last Sunday. Another thing God asks me sometimes to confess is how I use my eyes. The way I look at people, the things I look at and I'm entertained by, Is there anything that he's putting his finger on that he's asking you to turn from, confess, and bring it out into the light, expose it so that he can cleanse it? Another thing he sometimes asks me to think about is my feet and where my feet go, to the places I go, to the people I hang out with, to the things I pursue. Is there anything that he's saying, stop going there, turn from that, be careful? Would you be willing to confess that? Say, oh, Lord, I need to change my mind about that and ask you to cleanse it. Another thing is your minds. It's one thing to have certain thoughts. It's another thing to hold on to them and feed them. Are you filling your mind with his truth, with whatever is excellent and noble? Is there anything you need to confess that you've been filling your mind with or feeding your mind with? And last, um, your body. Are you honoring God with your body? Are you taking care of your body? Are you, is there anything he's just asking you just to be conscious of that he wants to shine his grace on? Well, you get the idea. This is something you could do at home, by the way. But would you be willing to read with me? You can open your eyes. Would you be willing to read those last few verses in Psalms that I've listed in that gray box at the bottom of the back page? Would you read it with me? Let's just remember this truth. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
Cleanse me and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like more information, visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook.